big warm welcome to you. This is the Aware Parenting Podcast with Lael Stone and Marion Rose, PhD. We have juicy conversations about things that matter in parenting and life. We're exploring all that Aware Parenting has to offer from many different angles, and we are so glad that you're here. Hello and a big warm welcome to you. My name is Marion Rose. And I'm Lael Stone. And today we are talking about tantrums. And because we've talked about tantrums before, this is part two. Tantrums part two. Yes. And, and look, this is probably our most listened to podcast as well, is toddlers and tantrums, because I think that's where most people as parents come looking for support and help because they're like, what do I, what do? I do? But um, today we, we're going to talk about what that might look like for little people, but also for school age kids and for teenagers and for adults, because we have tantrums as well. And um, so I think this is, you know, a beautiful topic to revisit, to kind of come back to the basics and what we can do and how that feels and all that kind of beautiful stuff, because it's often, this is such a topic that we, we have to practice with each other and with our children because most people weren't responded to in the way that they deeply desired or wanted when they were children. So this is one that comes up all the time as being a really tricky thing to navigate as a human. So this is a great topic to, uh, to dive into. Yes. So we're sending so much love to all the younger parts of you for however you were responded to when you had a tantrum or maybe would have really needed to have a tantrum. And I also want to say, you know, when you talked about adults having a tantrum, it already came to me how much it's uh, tantrums are judged, aren't they? Like if an mm. adult, I had a tantrum, it often is said in kind of a self-judging way rather mm. than being as a, you know, we're going to be talking about the, the healthiness and the beauty mm. of tantrums. And we're going to differentiate as well tantrums from hitting or pushing or throwing or hurting in any way. We're going to be talking about the healthy expression of this, this mm. energy. It's really important to differentiate the two. Yes. And I love that you brought that up because, you know, the society we live in, it's still the, the consensus is if we see a child having a tantrum in the supermarket or we see, a, a, you know, a child at home is having a tantrum, we label it as wrong. We label the child as bad or naughty or they're out of control. Parents can often feel a big sense of I'm not getting it right. Why is my child behaving like that? There's so much story that goes with how we respond as a collective to tantrums. And I love that reframe of imagine if we saw it from a different angle. It's like, oh, what a wonderful, healthy reset of your nervous system. <laughs> what a wonderful, healthy expression of all those feelings you've got there. Oh, how wonderful that you feel safe enough to let all those feelings out. How magnificent that you're telling me how you feel. Imagine if that's how we responded to um, feelings in children and in adults as well. What a huge, because, you know, so often, I'm sure you see this all the time too. I often find in working with beautiful parents, um, whether that's online or in groups or whatever, as soon as they start crying, they apologize straight away for crying. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm crying. I'm sorry. And I always say you never need to apologize for tears. Tears are welcome. They love tears. Tears are a sign of, um, for me, I feel very privileged. I feel like, Oh, you feel safe enough to cry with me. That's wonderful. But our default is often to apologize for crying. And, um, Again, what would that look like if we cried freely and it was as a collective was supported and celebrated and yes, amazing. Well done you. Well done you for feeling and letting it out. You know, how would that how would that look? So that's my little first start off. Imagine just tune into yourself this week. <laughs> if you're crying for some reason, can you catch yourself before you apologize for for actually crying and and give yourself some beautiful compassion and love? Oh yes, I'm doing a good job here. I'm feeling, I'm feeling. Anyway, I love that. I love that so much. And I I think that's one of the things I really love about aware parenting is that it really has this such that we hold too as aware parenting instructors and general humans is this deep love for feelings and passion for welcoming feelings and um, uh, undemonizing them because literally, Mm. you know, few hundred years ago if a child was having a tantrum they were seen as being possessed by the devil that was what mm-hmm. the was i think it's really helpful also to look at that historical context 
that kind of it, it then got a little bit more um slightly more friendly to be seen as misbehavior that they needed to be punished for to increasingly this this deep understanding that these are actual natural normal feelings that are being expressed and with tantrums i tend to see it as a particular kind of energy you know in uh in the my marion method work i talk about it as will energy so i think about it as all the um all feelings that we might have around not having our needs for autonomy and agency met, our frustration, our outrage, the times that our no hasn't been welcome and heard. And this is our life energy. And the more we can really welcome that, is exactly as you're saying, when we live one day in a world where that's seen as beautiful energy to express and that we all have so much capacity to love and be present with another when they're expressing those feelings, then we stay deeply connected with our true power because what happens when uh when we grow up in this culture the domination culture and our, and our tantrums and our rage and our frustration gets shame or shamed or punished or even you know in really gentle ways pacified here have a you know here have a cookie or here you know come and watch charlie and lola or whatever it is is that that does something to our life energy and it usually means that either we end up um with a, the, our life energy really stuck and we often can then maybe not make decisions or we procrastinate or we may move into kind of depression where we cannot actually move or we may find that we we go more we're just in kind of hyperaction all the time we're always hyperactive and always moving we can we might find ourselves always saying no to everything or always saying yes i mean all these all these things are because we've grown up in a culture that hasn't seen this energy as beautiful and natural and normal and that's why i love this work because the more we get to express these things the more we support our children in expressing these and welcoming them exactly as you said i so welcome your outrage i welcome your frustration i'm here to listen i love it when you really hear how frustrated you are they get to stay connected with that life energy that which is their capacity to take action in the world and to make a difference and gosh don't we need that right now golly gosh <laughs> the next generation to be able to act in service of their values not um constrained by shoulds and have tos and depression and uh you know just all of that stuff it's so it's such beautiful life energy isn't it and i, I don't know about you but i found for myself the more i've really befriended that in myself i was actually remembering when i was saying that about the frustration i remember when uh, my son was about five and he was really frustrated and I, I could I was really comfortable with the big tears and the tantrums and the crying but the, that kind of frustration I could feel myself really reacting to it and I realized I hadn't really befriended that in myself mm. and what I found is the more I love all of these energies in myself and like so I can respond to him now if he's frustrated I really hear how frustrated you are it's, it's satisfying to feel the energy and to have it welcomed and mirrored and what mm when that's welcomed and mirrored in our childhood so we can continue loving it and welcoming it and feeling comfortable with it and actually seeing it as a beautiful gift because when we're frustrated it usually tells us there's something that needs attending to there's some needs that really need to be looked at or we you know there's somebody doing something to us that was really against our values oh this is beautiful energy it tells us about our values and our needs it's it's yummy isn't it so yummy <laughs> I love all of that. I have to just circle back and say, I love that you said, golly gosh. That just, <laughs> <laughs> I saw your face. <laughs> I just love that so much. It's so English. I was just like, that is just the cutest thing ever. I love golly gosh. I'm going to use that. Um, I so second everything you said, you're saying there. And I, I, as I'm thinking about it too, I'm thinking about I was just sharing before we started this podcast how I'd been crying lots in the last few days. I've had all these big feelings surface and I've been and and I noticed actually that I couldn't stop the tears even if I wanted to. There was like this different freedom of just um releasing where there is so much permission to do it now. There's nothing that stops it. There is it's like it just comes because it just knows it needs to be released and it and I don't apologize for it anymore and I just allow it to be there and and even 
I, I think I walked into the kitchen and my daughter and my husband are there and they just, I just had acupuncture and they're like, how, how is acupuncture? And I was like, oh, I just cried the whole way through. And then I just started crying again and they just smile at me. It's <laughs> just like, you know, you don't need anything. I'm like, I'm good. I'm just, I'm releasing some really big stuff that I've been holding onto for a really long time. And this is amazing. And, and it's beautiful. And it's almost like the quality of it, um, I don't know, has become more refined or, or freer as I've gotten older. I, I don't know. And and I think that the other thing I was thinking about, I mean, I love as you talk about what it actually is, that frustration and those feelings. And I really second that the more comfortable as a parent you become with that within yourself is the more access I think your children have to your, what I call body wisdom that they know it's safe to come to you with those elements and then share accordingly with it. And for me, whenever one of my children cries, you know, and they're big grown up kids, I just, I have this sense of, um, I just feel so honored. I feel like it's such a privilege to witness them in that as they get older as well. You know, when our kids are really little, they often cry a lot easier and freer and, you know, there's a lot more frustrations that can go on in their world, but as you know, young adults, when they do cry, I just find it such a privilege. I almost sit there with this beautiful smile on my face, which is just like, oh, yes, I see you. And thank you for trusting me enough to bring me these feelings of what's going on. And, you know, I think that's, that's just so magnificent. I, I, people often say to me, I'm sure they say this to you, Marion, too. I just recorded a different podcast this morning. And as I was talking to her, she's like, I just want to cry the whole time I'm talking to you. And I was saying, oh, I think I have that effect on people <laughs> just want to cry when we talk because I don't know, maybe there's something in my energy that just says, Oh, I so welcome that like go be, you know, and um, let it come because, you know, I just, I see it as beautiful. And um, I think there's certain people in our world that allow us to feel like that. Don't, don't they? And yeah, I feel like that's one of my magic gifts now mm. as a, you know, as a, as a 45 year old woman, I'm like the crying whisperer. I was like, you want to have a cry? Then I'll just come and chat to you. <laughs> and you can let it all out. I could, you know, it's my new magic. <laughs> I love <the> magic. <laughs> you know, I was loving what you're saying there as well about that free flowing channel. If I really remember that with my son, uh, who he's 14 now so he doesn't do it so much now probably until he was about 11 maybe where he'd he'd feel some frustration it would accumulate for a bit and it would often be something around the computer and in England when I was growing up there used to be an advert about toothpaste and it used to be like the, the they called it a flip top uh, head a flip top lip so the whole head would flip up so that the teeth could be brushed and I would literally have this experience with him where he would he'd feel so frustrated and he would open his mouth and it was like this free channel of this absolute full clear crystal clear outrage frustration and it came all out really loudly i do remember once somebody um who i'd known from years before in the aware parenting community she um she sent me a message later on that day she said i happen to be walking my dog past your house <laughs> And I heard a really big noise. <laughs> Is everyone all right? And I was like, yeah, it was, it was Sunny having a really big expression of frustration. And I, rem I, just, I just love that. I love, I love it at any age when someone, you know, I think the more we get deconditioned around this, well, I'm, it's not aware parenting, that term will energy. Um, it's, that channel does get clearer and clearer. So the feelings come out more and more easily. It's like they come out in their fullness. They come out like almost not touching the sides mm -hmm. and they have more of an impact. So it's like it, it's that energy can be released and expressed really quite quickly and easily generally rather than, you know, if we've been, if we've been told, which most of us probably, most of what everyone listening here, you know, you shouldn't get angry and you know, be nice and say sorry and be all of that stuff. And don't cry, don't get angry and here have a lollipop that even once we start to get more comfortable with that, it takes quite some while to um, to be able to really, because uh, almost like opening our bodies up to let it through, isn't it? It's almost like that capacity to more and more really not be tightening up a jaw or tightening up a shoulder or tightening up a pelvis or a knee or wherever it is that we're holding it to actually allow it to more freely flow through us and I think that's you know the gift that babies come in already with that capacity mm. and if we can you know if we can meet them as children where they have less of it shut down less body tension less 
um, harsh beliefs about those feelings, the more easier it is for them to stay connected with that free flowing, gorgeous energy. Mm, yes, I love, I love that. I'm wondering if we should, um, you know, because I know that this we've got some new um, listeners now. Perhaps we should go back a little bit, not go back, but let's start perhaps going into, you know, why children have big feelings. <laughs> I mean, we've talked a lot about this in our podcast, but particularly with tantrums. And I love how you explain this, Marion, around why um, children do have big tantrums. So let's maybe start with the why, because I think this is so good for adults to understand you know, in the way I explained it is looking behind the behavior. There's a reason why they are feeling the way they're feeling and what those reasons could be. And then we can talk about how we might meet that, you know, as an adult. So do you want to talk a little bit about the, you know, the why? Well, I'm going to again use the term will needs. That's from the Marian method work, not aware parenting, totally relevant. Uh, so in aware parenting, we just talk about all needs, but basically will needs are our needs for, agency for autonomy for choice for you know when we have a yes for something to to move towards that so if a child really wants to play with their blocks or stay at the park or have a chocolate ice cream or whatever it is there's that yes energy and also you know particularly from toddlerhood onward and then again in the teenage years is that there's that development of their will so they become more um connected with self as a unique person that does have desires and preferences and you know doesn't want to be touched in a particular way or you know it's the yeses and the noes so we live in a culture where children's needs for agency and autonomy and choice haven't generally been respected and just in general everyday life particularly in the culture we live in it's you know there's a lot of things that we end up doing that perhaps we don't even necessarily want to do and that we're in a position to um you know to kind of make our children do things that they don't want to do to a lesser or a, or a greater extent and just the fact that they're small and they're powerless compared to us and there's a lot of stuff they're not able to do physically or emotionally or practically all of those feelings all of those needs um all of those unmet needs uh anytime a child doesn't get to move forward with that to have autonomy and choice it's natural for them to feel frustrated just like us you know if you really want to do something and someone someone says no we often feel this as adults especially if you have young kids you want to get out the house do you remember those days and you know if you're in lockdown it's even coming up now around that we want to get out the house and we maybe have a two-year-old and they're not willing to cooperate with us. We can feel really frustrated. We can actually go into our own unexpressed feelings of powerlessness and frustration. So that's the natural life energy. When we're not getting to move forwards when we, when we really want to, it's natural to feel frustration. It's kind of like that, that almost the energy there to go, no, but I want to move forward or no, or it's, it's that energy. So it's normal and natural for that to accumulate over time. And, you know, particularly if a child is experiencing more of those kinds of things. So perhaps um, if they are going to daycare or kinder or school and they're not really wanting to, or they're not being supported in a way that's helpful for them, or they have a new sibling or they're moving home or, you know, all the things that have been happening around COVID that have been, um, you know, people's will needs not getting met. That is where those feelings arise in the body. And when there's a lot of them, the feelings accumulate and accumulate and accumulate. And it's, I'm sure we can all think of times where we felt that too. Maybe you've been looking for a car parking space and you're in a busy city and you had a really long day and you just want to get to the shops before you get home. Have you ever felt that? I've really felt that in my body, that rising and rising, just like, I just want a parking spot. Why? And you know, it just comes out. That's it's unnatural life energy. It wants to our bodies are accumulating those feelings and they then get to a point where for a child they are no longer able to hold them in. And that's the point where they come spilling out. Now ideally as well, the more comfortable we get with being with those feelings in the child, the more they get to express those feelings more regularly. So they get to express their frustration more regularly, which is also really helpful for us. It means they're less likely to have a tantrum when, we, when we're in the supermarket or whatever it is, because they're not getting to that extreme point. But it's just natural, normal feelings when our needs for autonomy or agency of choice or aren't getting met, or we're not getting to say yes where we have a yes or no where we have a no. 
that's how I put it in my language. I'd love to hear mm. anything you want to add to that, Laolin. No, I love that. I think it's, I think all parents will know that what it looks like sometimes when, you know, we talk about you give them the wrong colored cup and then they explode or you give them the, the broken cookie or you click their seatbelt the wrong way. <laughs> it's just, it's anything where there is a massive often reaction to one thing that you're doing. And usually the response or the reaction is so big compared to what actually has just happened. You know, for me, I used to see it as uh, there's a whole lot of feelings that have been brewing here and this is the catalyst for them coming out. So sometimes that's by we just do an action that they don't like. Sometimes it's when we set a limit for something, you know, no, darling, you can't have another treat or we have to come inside or we have to leave the park or when there's a limit that they can push up against and then those big feelings coming out. You know, I, I, for me, you know, I had to, I really like the simplified, you know, aspects of looking at humans. And so I always used to go, okay, are my kids in balance or out of balance? And if they're out of balance, then I'm seeing agitation. I'm seeing nothing's right. I'm seeing frustration. I'm seeing that they're picking fights with their siblings. And that for me is a red flag. That's like, there's something going on, there's something brewing. And in my mind, I used to go, oh, will, will, this, will this explode in five minutes or in like three hours? <laughs> Let's just wait and see. And sometimes if nothing was making them happy and they were just really, you could see it simmering under the surface. You know, I would always go, okay, I'm going to, offer them some connection, whether that was through playfulness or whether just meeting them, eye contact, touch, all those kind of things, or setting a limit for them to push up against, then those beautiful big feelings would come out and then they would almost reset and come back into balance. And then their ability to cope with life or, you know, be cooperative or whatever it is that we wanted was kind of restored. And, um, you know, so, and look, you know, for people that love brainy science stuff, you know, Dan Siegel talks about this, about the whole prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed. And when the amygdala gets really stressed, it reaches capacity, you know, so there's many people that talk about elements of this. Some talk about it in the sense of brains, some talk about it just with feelings. I love the aware parenting view, which really, really takes in the whole elements around, you know, accumulated stresses, past traumas, all those kind of elements that we see. And and for me, I, you know, the longer I've done this, my job is to just meet my child where they're at. You know, I, I used to just think, okay, well, where are they? They're walking to the room. How are they doing? Like, you know, can I see this stuff brewing? Yep. Okay. So I'm really going to make myself super grounded and spacious to know that some big feelings are going to come and I'm going to welcome that because I know that once they've been met with empathy and compassion and, you know, let it out, darling, you're doing a good job. I hear you. I can see how mad you are. Whatever it was that once it had moved on, you know, they were calm and relaxed and, you know, then often there would be a lot more harmony in the house. And I think understanding this piece was the absolute game changer that took me from yelling to not yelling. And I wasn't a huge yeller. Like I would have to yell. I would have to be feeling pretty stretched and stressed to yell. So it wasn't naturally my default, but there were times where there was yelling. And um, I think when I began to learn about this piece, and holding space for feelings and emotions, it took it from, you know, them, they're not listening to me, they're not cooperating, you know, why won't you do what I ask you to do? It changed the whole landscape for me to understand, ah, oh, they can't do what I'm asking them to do because they are so out of balance or they are so in some big feelings here that they're not going to do what I'm asking until they're reconnected again. And so it began it was just empowering for me to look behind everything always and go, what's going on here? What's their need? What am I seeing? And how can I support them to find their way back into that center? Because they want to be in that center. They want to be connected. They want to be feeling good, but there's stuff in the way. And we talk about this all the time. And I just love this so much. I trust children so much. They know what they need to do to find their way back into that center, into that balance, into helping them offload those feelings. But often we get in the way. That's what I often think as well-meaning parents who want harmony, we often move into fixing instead of just meeting them and allowing. And I think, you know, when a child has got a whole lot of that stuff going on, they're going to move to play to figure out a way how to process what's happening. They're going to ask for their needs to be met in a certain way, or they're going to bring all those big feelings to the surface 
even when you say no to something or whatever's going on so that they can move it and come back into that center spot and that balance and that calm and that reconnection so that, you know, we can continue in that beautiful connected way. So I, I, you know, and we have seen this for so many years, they want to be there, but our nature often as parents is that we, we naturally move to wanting to fix things for our kids or we might naturally move to, oh, God, I can sense there's a meltdown coming. I can't deal with that. I don't want that to happen, which is very understandable. I want to say too, like, you know, big compassion because it's hard listening to big feelings. We move into trying to keep them happy. We move into distracting them, all the things that you were saying before so that we don't actually have to feel it. But as you would, you know, attest to and so would I, if you can just sit in it and allow it to come, it moves so much quicker. And then we have really happy children at the other side of it. And then we're like, oh, everyone's back. Whereas the times where I would try and distract my children or try and bribe them with sugar or, or whatever I tried to do to make it all right, the level of like mm, uncomfortableness or just tension or would just simmer first and nothing was happy. Nobody was happy at all. It would just keep going on and on and on and on until it was released. So I really learned quickly that, ah, let's do it. Let's welcome it. Come on, let's move these feelings. If you, you know, if you're ready to move them, let's move them so that we can all come back to, ah, we feel good and connected again. And um, it took practice, it took a lot of practice to get there because, you know, as we've talked about, listening to big feelings is, can be very uncomfortable. And particularly if that is not something that you have experienced in your own life, you know, most adults we know were never listened to, you know, with their big feelings and emotions. So it, it makes so much sense why it's confronting when your child does rage or cry or scream or have a big tantrum it is really understandable why we can feel really, really reactive and why we want it to stop, why we get angry, why we'll do anything in our power to make sure it doesn't happen because it often taps us into those uncomfortable feelings around the fact that we never had the opportunity to express that or other bigger stuff that can sometimes surface as well. So, you know, I, I we both always say this, that we have to have deep compassion for ourselves in how we meet our children with their feelings because we are all doing the best job we can with, you know, what we were shown and modeled. So deep compassion to ourselves. If we find it really hard and challenging, it's, you know, I've, we, we talked about this actually in our last podcast around babies around listening to their tears is really hard in the beginning. And then you're developing more of that trust and that holding and that, um, deep acceptance of a child's feelings and the natural state to find their way back. And the more evidence we begin to see of how wonderful they are afterwards and how clearer they are and how calmer and much calmer they are in their bodies, then we begin to see, wow, there's some magic in this. And then of course, I always come back to that same thing. If I was three and I was having a massive, you know, tantrum and meltdown, what would I want from my parent in that moment? So this is a helpful question to ask in any parenting um, if you don't know what to do. What would you want to receive if you're a child? It's such a helpful thing to connect with, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I loved all that, that all of that that you said, Lau. I often find it also really helpful to think about when we're when we're reacting. Say if your child's having a tantrum, you're reacting in ways that you don't want to is is often two parts. One is the cultural conditioning. So that was we internalize what was done to us and what we saw and then on the other side is the younger parts of us and the feelings that we felt growing up in that culture so either or both of those can show up so the more you know part of what we're sharing I guess is that is that that thinky part as well as offering you love is to actually the more we're changing that cultural conditioning to you know from tantrums as being possessed by the devil to tantrums as misbehavior to tantrums as also, I think there can be a perspective that tantrums is like, it is just because they have a, you know, because of their developmental state of their prefrontal cortex and we kind of need to feel a bit sorry for them. To actually, what I see the beauty of aware parenting is, is actually seeing the beauty of what they still have access to that we often lose connection with. So, you know, the more we come into that place, we're really changing the cultural conditioning. And then the other piece, of course, is, often we really need to do our own inner work to get support to have listening around our own feelings because basically if we have never 
connected with our own expression of, of rage in our body and how we feel and we've never had that listened to in any way it's going to be really 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 hard and nigh on impossible to be able to do that for our children at least in a way that's that's actually sustainable for us we might be able to do it by, by tensing up or you know all the other things but you know it's it's so important so these two parts i find really helpful the changing the cultural conditioning and some support for those younger parts of us and how they felt and how they were responded to when they felt those big feelings the rage and the frustration the tantrum mm. Mm. i love that it's so helpful to know that it's so helpful as an adult to say it's not because i'm a failed parent that my child is behaving this way and it's it's not because i'm a failed parent that i can't meet them with those feelings either <laughs> like we are just we are doing the best job we can with what we have been shown. And I really, I love how you explain that around. We need to be seen and heard with those feelings. We need to work through our own stuff so we can bring that spaciousness to our kids. So it is vitally important. And I agree with you. It's almost impossible to meet it if we haven't done that. And, you know, I think again, with many parents I work with, I, um, you know, it's very easy to move into anger and aggression when our children get upset. And I see that a lot with some of the fathers I've worked with. And it's not just fathers, mothers can do it as well. I mean, we've done podcasts on mother rage, right? <laughs> just all those things that surface. But when we think about also for men, you know, they have even less space as little people to express feelings. And the cultural conditioning was so much about, you know, don't be weak and toughen up and, you know, boys don't cry and all that kind of stuff you know, the amount of repression that sits in a lot of men around the, the expression of safe feelings and emotions is, is huge. And so therefore, you know, a natural state is to move into powering over their kids or to shutting it down or whatever we can do, because it feels, it really does um, tap into a place within us that feels deeply uncomfortable and we don't want to go there. So it's, you know, it is really deeply understandable why we respond the way we do. And, you know, that saying that question of how would we have wanted to be responded to, I think everybody answers the same way. Well, every adult I work with, I'm sure the same as you, Marion, is they say, I wanted a really safe adult to sit there and say, yeah, that sounds hard, or I hear you and let it out, or I love you, keep going. Like all those words that I think we all wanted to hear when we were just naturally expressing feelings that we had. And they're just, they're feelings that we just need to let out and then they'll move on. Like it's actually quite simple, but we work so hard to not feel it. And, um, you know, I just, I, I don't know. I can't even begin to explain the, the things that it changes in your life when you begin to be, feel more comfortable with this, because it allows us not even only with our children, but with all our relationships, when somebody's angry, when someone's upset, you know, the default is, wow, there's something going on for them there. And what would they need in those moments, you know, and, and, you know, even, you know, I had to learn in my partnership with my husband, when he did get angry, I used to try and fix it all the time, which just made him angrier <laughs> because I was deeply uncomfortable with why he was angry. And I would make that mean that, oh my God, he's not happy with me. And, you know, it tapped me right into my little good girl stuff. And then when I learned to actually just, when he was angry, say, wow, I can see how mad you are and was able to stay deeply connected to myself and not have to fix him. I could hold a really safe space for him. Often his anger would dissipate really quickly and he would move into the emotion of what was sitting behind that anger and those feelings. And then he would usually express what was going on. But when I felt really uncomfortable with it, you know, it, um, it would hang around for a while and then it would become a back and forth story of who was wounded and who was more wounded and whose child was playing up and just all the stuff. So it was beautiful, you know, listening, learning to listen to my children's feelings really helped me to listen to my husband, but also to other friends or anybody where they've got stuff going on is to be able to sit there and go, yeah, wow, that sounds big and not take it on board. Like I've done something wrong or it's my fault or I need to fix you, but purely be there to, be a safe container to say, yeah, tell me more. Yum, 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 yum. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful that it becomes that our children basically in their feelings, not only teach us how to be present and listen compassionately to their feelings, but also to our own, to our partners, to our friends, to others. It's the incredible training that they offer us. <laughs> mm, yes. And oh, training. <laughs> 
I mean, I, we, we've shared things like this before. Like I, when our children have experiences of what it's like to be held emotionally and, and express, they can see it in others. Like even as like a young little ones, like my daughters used to, we'd be in the playground and they'd see a child who had a lot of aggression or feelings going on. And they would be like that little, that, that boy over there needs to have a good release. <laughs> they would say, or he needs to have a really good cry. And I'd be like, yeah, it looks like it, doesn't it? And my kids would go, can you go and listen to his feelings? <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, probably not <laughs> in the park with some strange child. Um, that would probably not go down well, would it? Um, but they could identify what that looked like and they could identify how that looked and how much better the, the child would probably feel after that had all come out. And um you know, again, I think they know in their innate nature, it feels better once it out, once it's out. And even as they've grown up into older children, my, my kids would sometimes walk into my room and go, I really need to cry. Can you help me? And like, I'd joke and go, do you want me to like punch you in the stomach or something? <laughs> like we would joke around of like, what do you want me to do? And they would kind of laugh a little bit. And then, you know, I just put my arms out and go, come here, baby. Or I would just rub, touch their face or something. And then they'd just burst into tears. And that was even as, you know, teenagers and young adults, because, they knew that was going to feel better if they let out those feelings and they were willing to come and ask for some holding and support if they needed it. And that, you know, that for me is just so rich. So beautiful. So yummy. (laughs) Do you know what you were talking about aggression? So I thought it might be also helpful to share that little map that um, comes from Aletha and I've adapted it from there, which is the understanding the the natural as we've been talking about that natural expression and if feelings don't get to show up and come out an expression then they'll either get go to suppression uh accumulation or aggression so in particular i tend to think of the tantrumy type of feelings which do tend to be more like the frustration that the the rage the outrage i tend to think those are the ones that tend to more when they're not getting to be expressed will then show up in the hitting, the biting, the throwing, the pushing, which relates back to what you were saying about about boys in this culture um, and men and dads and how that often shows up then. I often notice, do you notice that? I think we've talked about that before. I think often for dads that shows up if they have a, a three or four-year-old boy who's perhaps, uh, you know, doing things that show they've got some feelings and it, I think often really shows up for dads who have experienced that power over that they will get really frustrated and then go into wanting to use power over because they just didn't have that beautiful natural outrage and frustration lovingly heard it's really 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 hard I actually think this is one of the hardest things I just was working with someone in a session just before I think our own feelings of powerlessness and frustration uh, and outrage uh, one of the hardest things I think in parenting to actually to be working with them so that when they're not showing up in our parenting so that we're not having the outbursts or the going into power over or all of that stuff all powerlessness and giving up all of that stuff I think it's really hard and the way I tend to see it is because I think I shared that is powerlessness is so and frustration it's like because it is our will it's our it's connection with ourself if we don't have autonomy or choice or agency we feel powerless it's almost like we don't exist in some way because we can't we can't take action it's really painful it's it's excruciatingly painful and as adults i think that's why when we feel powerless you know if our child's not doing what we ask we're asking to do something they're saying no or we're asking them to stop and they're not stopping why our own uh child experiences and feelings of powerlessness show up and then it's so painful that we will tend to flip over into using power over all threats or getting harsh because gosh we don't want to sit with that excruciating feeling of gosh I really cannot move here I cannot move I cannot move in any way it's really it's so horrible isn't it so painful Uh, some of my most painful parenting moments have been in in those places where my old powerlessness hurts have shown up it's really painful so i want to say right now to all our listeners if you've got any of this showing up right now and i think it's showing up even more with uh, the pandemic and if that if you're experiencing any kind of um you know if you're in lockdown or you're being told what you have to do or you can't do or you should do it's so often connecting us with these younger parts and of course it is here and now will needs as well but on top of that can be extra you know all the times where we might have been 
you know, told that we couldn't do something or we should do something or, you know, whatever it happened to us can all show up. So it's really hard. So I'm sending everyone so much love and compassion right now. I think this is almost like the work of our time. Mm. Really understand and get familiar with, be able to hold or get support for these feelings in ourselves so that we do not turn to power over or to aggression and the same, you know, I see that in our culture, that that's, we've, had, we've talked about this in politics and in power, it's, it's so much the paradigm, this domination paradigm of power over, and it really comes from those feelings of powerlessness. So it, I think this is such important work. So you know, anyone who feels called to, to explore more around these places in themselves, to be able to support their children to express these feelings in really healthy ways, and not so that they are less likely to hit or, or to go into repression, suppression, dissociation it's really it makes a huge difference not only for your child and for your relationship with them but for the for our whole culture mm. I do, we've talked about this before but i absolutely agree that if we want to change the world it starts in our homes it starts with parenting and it starts with how we respond to our children and and what they then feel about who they are and and their connection to themselves then of course they move out into the world and don't want to harm people and don't want to hurt the land and all those elements because it's you know because their nature is that divine connection and to themselves and to others so it is it's so so powerful over others they don't want to coerce others they don't want to put you know these all these punitive things in place this is the whole system that we're in that we're seeing so much in the political arena right now is all based on this this is you know gets learned in childhood it gets mm-hmm. generation to generation mm-hmm. so if we're doing anything different around this we are part of changing the culture it's amazing yes and you know as you were thinking as you were talking about powerlessness and those feelings and particularly if we felt that as children um, I didn't necessarily feel that so much at home, but I felt that in the schooling system. And um, even as like a five or six year old being in primary school and being told what to do all the time and, you know, just this absolute, I can, I can remember so clearly as a child, just be like, no, I don't want to. And why should you tell me what to do? And I have to do the right thing. And just, I mean, I, I remember that so clearly. And um and when my children were in primary school and I would go into the classroom to help with reading and stuff, I would have the biggest physical reaction. <laughs> I would be like, I've got to get out of here. It's not safe in here. And I'd be thinking, why am I sending my children here? But I was so tapping me into that powerlessness of being told what to do all the time. And that's how it would turn up. And, you know, not ironically at all, I have now built a school where we are not doing anything <laughs> because I think it's purely about healing my stuff. <laughs> Um, because, you know, I remember, I remember so clearly what it felt like as a child and I, you know, and then watching my own children and just thinking, oh God, this really has to change on a whole other level because you are so right. Our fundamental needs for autonomy and choice and, and being heard and just all those things, just, they are really what help us to be the best version of ourselves. And, you know, and, and if we have to spend a lot of the time, um, shutting off from those feelings and emotions then you know we're going to end up you know needing a lot more extra support as adults really because of how it turns up that's why we're all kind of need therapy on some level because we're working through that and here's to hoping you know as we raise our our children and they then raise their own children you know we are moving the 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 imprints and the stories and the beliefs to be somewhere else but yeah it's it's so needed so deeply needed Yes, I'm remembering my similar experience was when I first um, we first registered in homeschooling and I, I didn't have any money at that point and I so I really needed to register and do all these things I needed I wanted my children to do all this stuff so that I could get the money from the government and they my son just didn't want to do it and I felt so powerless because it tapped me into all my school experiences or you know fear around money which can you know we can feel really powerless around money because money is so related to having choice and agency those were some of my most painful parenting moments where i just felt so powerless and mm. parts of me younger parts of us are really not um very helpful parents really they don't really have what it takes to be <laughs> to be um loving supportive listening parents Mm -hmm. yeah 
And so, you know, coming back to our, I guess, our topics of, of tantrums and, you know, I hope people are realizing just how normal they are, how wonderful they are, what a fantastic natural expression it is for any human to, um, to be able to release those feelings. You know, one of the main things I get asked all the time, but, you know, if I've let my children have a tantrum, so as in if I welcome it, does that mean they're going to do it all the time? And, you know, I would say maybe in the beginning they will, if, if they begin to learn, oh, I can let these feelings out. There might be some big feelings, but I have found in my own experience that they would do actually far less of that huge releasing because it was given the difference was before I kind of did this, I spent most of my time trying to stop those feelings. And so it just accumulated under the surface and they might have little outbursts or little cries, but it never fully came to completion where they felt calm and relaxed and, you know, really cooperative. It just kind of simmered. And so it felt like they were constantly just on the verge of losing it or, you know, there was big feelings there. Whereas when I began to welcome it and, and change my story around it and really hold that this is such a wonderful thing, uh, then it actually, they did it far less, you know, and I also began to tune into, I can see that there was something happening so that if I knew we had to go out somewhere, but I could sense that one of my kids had some stuff going on, I was like, all right, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to see if we can help move some of these feelings before we go out because I don't really want to be in the middle of a shopping center and that happens, you know, that that was going to feel a bit stressful for me. So is there a way I can help these feelings move beforehand or, you know, just looking at what was going on and a bigger picture and what we had to do and go, okay, I can see this stuff. It's like if we were all going to go out to dinner as a family and one of my kids had really big feelings going on, I'm like, this is probably going to be a nightmare because they're not going to want to sit at the table and all the feelings are going to come up. And so, there were times actually when my kids were younger where I'd say to Mikey, hey, I'm just going to take this one because I can see they've got some feelings going on. So we would go for a walk or I would set a limit somewhere and they would just have a really big expression of the feelings while the others perhaps went and did something. And then we would join them all together because I just knew that as a as a group, it probably wasn't going to go well and also particularly for in public. So it was really being able to tune into our kids, my kids a bit more and just see what their needs were, or what was going on that then allowed for a lot more fluidity in just how we were as a family and particularly out in the world sometimes. So I think that piece of information of knowing it's really normal, of helping our children move these feelings. And, and of course, as we do it when our children are little, when they're toddlers, if we're doing this, and it's never too late to start, by the way, even if you have a teenager, you know, you might have to work a little bit harder to get those tears out, but they're there. Um, but what then I began to notice is that instead of them having to act out in a certain way or do behaviours that weren't that weren't great, um, they were able to just identify, I'm angry or I'm so sad right now, or they would just come to me with the feelings instead of having to behave in a certain way that needed limits or or something to, to let it out. So that's what I began to see most definitely. The more space I held for their feelings when they were younger, the more they developed that connection between how they were feeling and what they needed. Then they would ask for what they needed. And, and you know, I didn't necessarily see it in behaviour anymore. Yeah, I'm so with you on that one. The other thing I was thinking of, as well as welcoming these feelings and welcoming tantrums and seeing them as beautiful and natural, normal things, we might actually say a little bit about what happens if there's aggression to move it to. But I sort of did want to say, of course, that we can also still be um, doing what we can do to reduce the um, the amount of powerlessness they feel. So I remember once I was uh, I was out and about, and so. And sending loving compassion to you if you've ever done this to your child, but it it was a really clear thing to me as a as an example. There's this little toddler um, who had a spoon in their hand, I think, and they didn't want to let go of the spoon. And the parent was with them, really wanted them to let go, so they literally prized one finger after another away from the spoon and took the spoon away from the child. And the child, of course, was felt so powerless and outraged and you know all kinds of big things and express those feelings and I think it can be really helpful to to think of that example to actually remember how if we are smaller and someone just think about it now as an adult if someone bigger than you and you're looking at your phone and you didn't want to stop and they literally prized your fingers away from you because they could because they were stronger than you how would you feel and that is, that's like, of course, you felt, we'd feel outraged. We would have a really big no to that because 
no, that's a big, it's a big no to be overpowered. So of course, to support our children, so they have fewer feelings of these, and we're not going to be able to completely do that. So they never have any, but we can really listen to as much as we can. We can give them choices if if those are available. Like they still have two toothbrushes, my kids. You want this one or that one? We can offer once they're old enough. Offer them choices around clothing. We can. Um, Aletha has a beautiful thing to the three things to elicit cooperation, which is number one, give them the information. We're going to be going to the car in a little while. Number two, give them choice. So that's the agency part. Do you want to, you know, do you want me to give you a piggyback or do you want to come and, uh, you know, should we run there like horses? Number three is to make it fun. So that would be the fun part of singing songs or being silly and goofy or you know, pretending to be their favorite cartoon character. So we can use uh, play, so attachment play, you can find out more about that in our podcast too, to elicit cooperation. I remember when my children were little like, and they'd be playing with someone, something perhaps I didn't want them to play with. Rather than taking it out of their hands, I would offer them something that was kind of similar and I would make it look really appealing and I'd offer that, would you like to play this instead? And of course there are times where our children do something, doing something that perhaps is dangerous where we need to say no, but as much as possible, it's saying no without actually then overpowering them. So, for example, if a child is um, about to pick up all the books off the bookshelf and throw them on the floor, we might move in with a loving limit. I'm not willing for you to do that, sweetheart. We might put our hands on their hands to prevent them pulling the books off. But as much as possible, I would avoid then just like pulling pulling things out of their hands or you know, because basically that will increase their feelings of powerlessness that is causing that behavior in the first place. So this is not um, being permissive, but it's finding ways to stay connected with our children so that we support them in having agency and choice. We re listen to and respect that. Um, by the way, if your child is saying no all the time, that generally means they've got these feelings silted up so they're not free to actually say yes. So it doesn't mean we're doing everything they say, but it's as much as possible giving them choice and agency or time, respecting their bodies, you know, all of that usual stuff that is so, so important around this thing. And then they're going to have fewer feelings of powerlessness and frustration to let out in the first place. But, but we can never take all of those feelings away. It's normal and natural as a human being to feel frustrated. Even when we're doing a, a new developmental thing. So when a child's at a developmental cusp, really normal for them to feel frustrated. It's part of that will energy. It's part of what drives them. I really want to be able to walk or I really want to be able to ride my bike or you know, I want to do what I see my big brother do. It's that, that energy is really important. So this isn't about taking that away, but it's about um, you know reducing that a little bit. And that's where I love also, um, you know, the, the beauty of attachment play and that's that connection time, the time where we can, you know, just have one-on-one -on -one play and um, just really see them and meet them and fill up their cup on some level to, that can also make such a difference with um, if children have got a hold of feelings, sometimes their feelings around, you know, having to share you or you're really busy or, you know, that kind of stuff. So things like that can make us such a huge difference too as maintenance stuff so that, you know, they don't have to have as many big feelings as well. I mean, that can make such a huge difference for, for children. Um, I also just wanted to say too, because we touched on this aggression stuff and to be, you know, to make sure that we're really clear with, with people too, if you are new listening, you know, if your child is hurting another child or if they're hitting you or they're biting the baby or anything that, you know, of course is unsafe or can cause harm, it's super important that we are there and we keep them safe and we keep everybody safe. And so when we're talking about, you know, having tantrums and really allowing space for it, it doesn't mean they can pick up the glass and smash it against the wall or that they can, you know, kick the baby or whatever. Like, you know, this is really, again, keeping everybody safe. And then the words that you use so beautifully, Marion, I'm not willing to let you do that. Um, so that we sometimes need to create that container for them and their bodies when they are moving some massive feelings like that uh, is really, really important. You know, it is about keeping everybody safe. And sometimes children, when they have got so many of those big feelings going on and their bodies are lashing out and they're hitting and they're, they're kicking and all those kind of things. It really is about, do we need to remove the child somewhere safe? Do we need to just go into another room with them? Do we need to, 
you know, maybe use a pillow as a bit of a buffer so that they can't hurt our bodies or what is it that we need to help them move what's what's happening in their bodies. And, and, you know, I love always helping parents understand this too. You know, no child feels good hitting or biting or throwing. They're doing it because their body's like, there is so much stuff in here I'm trying to get out, you know, and that's how they're doing it. So I really wanted to clarify that again. We have a great podcast on hitting and biting. So if your child's doing that, you can go and have a listen to that. It explains it more. So, you know, it, it, it is really good, again, to be tuning in when there is a tantrum, like, you know, a kind of, not that they're scales, but like a medium level tantrum is just, you know, you give them the wrong colored cup and they throw themselves on the floor and they're crying or rolling around on the floor and, you know, you can get down with them and just, you know, be really centered and hold that space and tell them you love them and you're doing a good job. And usually they'll get angry and throw themselves about and then, it moves into often some big tears and big sobs and then they'll probably find their way to you and curl up on your lap or want to cuddle and then you'll often find their body starts to relax and softens and and then they'll say something like i'm hungry or um can i go for a swim or just something completely unrelated and you'll be like oh okay we're done um you know often that can be the natural way that those feelings and emotions move not always but that's usually when we see it come to some form of completion sometimes and and it's really also helpful to remember too that when children are in the middle of these big feelings and emotions that that talking or getting them to explain what's happening is not helpful at all like really they are right in the middle of of all this stuff and so their ability often to explain what's happening or whatever's going on is 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 kind of offline anyway it's like they just they need to move feelings and it's only really after they're calm and you know there's that connection that you might want to say hey what was that what was upsetting you or you know sweetheart we don't use scissors to cut the dog's hair or you know you might you might offer something around what had happened or ask them a bit more around what happened but in the middle of it, it you know it's really helpful to just stay as present and sometimes you know quiet is what's needed or sometimes a few words but not necessarily asking them to explain and also keeping it pretty um i found that my kids over the time of doing this they didn't like it when i said anything they would just look at me like Shh, hold the space <laughs> like don't say anything don't even make that nodding face that you do mum um <laughs> just be present with me so you, you'll find you know it's finding your own rhythm with your child and what helps them as well and sometimes, you know, so this would be more for, you know, if you move further into this work, we share about this more in our courses and in our more one-on-one uh, -on -one work, but there are other things that, you know, sometimes children will be saying, no, don't look at me or go away. And so, you know, that's, we, there are different ways of understanding what's happening there. So um, that's kind of a deeper thing, but also to know that that. If I, my kind of rule of thumb is, especially if it's a young child, not when they're older, but if they're in some big feelings and they're asking us to go away, again, I'd connect in with, if you were if you were that age, do you remember doing that? And what did you actually really want? Because generally, if it's a young child, they actually need our loving presence with them for feelings to be safe, to be felt. So. Yes. And we do have a podcast on that called Go Away. So if you want to know more, you can have a listen to that. And the love next one we've got one on, mm. got one on aggression so if you this is really we're kind of moving in with a lot of topics here so if you want to dive in deeper they you know we've got more detail in all of those yeah beautiful so to finish off um Marion's got lots of amazing courses on all this particularly around feelings and emotions so go and check out her stuff because there's lots and lots of beautiful work you can do around this and understanding it more and looking at your own stories and all that beautiful stuff. So there is so many amazing resources there to, um, to tap into. And the Lilith's book, you know, um, Cooperative and Connected is great. Tears and Tantrums is another great book that you can um, tune into. And I'm about to start another eight-week immersion course, which is looking at, I guess, our imprints around how this was for us as children and how that turns up in our parenting. So that starts on the 15th of February, if anyone's interested. What would be your offering, Marion, you know, to, for people to take away? Away from this talk mm, so you know i'm passionate about all the inner loving parent work so i wonder what the younger parts of you would have loved to have heard when you were having attention or wanted to have one 
And are you willing to say those to the younger parts of you? And if your child is feeling those kinds of feelings, would you like to say those words to them? And in that body state of that loving compassion and presence. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think for me, I would say, um, maybe coming back right at the beginning when I said we often apologize for our tears, is that something that you are aware of? Do you apologize for your emotions and your feelings? And what would that be like to not do that anymore? You know, and, um, and what would that be like, even just when you are with a friend or someone who's showing some feelings and emotion, what is it like for you? Do you feel like you need to fix or, you know, where does that sit or land in your body too? Just being curious around where that sits for you. So Hmm. all right well thank you everybody for joining us again we love uh, hearing how these podcasts resonate we love getting your messages so please reach out if you have a question or something you'd love us to talk about we will do another q a soon so if you have a question and you'd like to ask us then please you can message us through instagram or facebook uh, you can find all Marion's beautiful stuff at her website and my stuff at mine. And um, we look forward to having you along next time. Mm, so much love to you. Thanks for joining us on the Aware Parenting Journey. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Aware Parenting Podcast. You can find more about Lael at www.laelstone.com.au or find Marion at www.marionrose.net. We wish you much compassion and grace on your parenting journey.